us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Nightmare. Good evening, afternoon, morning, slash, whatever. Welcome to Ghost Chronicles Next Generation, the second hour of Ghost Chronicles Radio, right here on TojiNet. I am Ron Kolick, your host, the gatekeeper of the realm of the unknown, the unexplained, the unbelievable, the mystical, the magical, the macabre, New England's own Van Helsing. And with me, my co-host, the pirate queen herself, the blonde <laughs> bombshell, Ann Kerrigan. Arg, I mateys. Hello. <laughs> Oh, isn't that, isn't that bizarre? Because uh, I know I posted that picture of you and I dressed up as pirates, and then I ended right. up you sent me that thing, and we end up having our guest who is joining us now. Uh, she is an author of many books, uh, and I can even say her name: Barbara Sillery. Hi, Ron and Anne. Hi, how are you? I'm fine. You've actually got a name Ron can pronounce. That doesn't happen too often. I think that's the first time in three years, I believe. <laughs> I, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure that is the first time in three years that I get your name right. So, Barbara, you are a busy girl writing a ton of books. But uh, before we get into that, uh, were you interested in the paranormal growing up, or, or how did you acquire this interest? Um, I think I was, but I wasn't really, sh- I wasn't really aware that I was, I would say my first two influential storytellers in my life was my great-grandmother, who was very interested in American history, okay. and the town undertaker, who was my carpool <laughs> driver. Oh, your carpool driver? He was my carpool driver, and amazingly, he had this incredible imagination, and as he would drive us to school in the morning, he always wore this very old-style bowler hat with a rim around it. Mm-hmm. And every morning would be a new episode of the little green people that lived on the rim of his hat. <laughs> so, <laughs> so from him, I learned all about, you know, folklore and leprechauns and, you know, being creative and using your imagination and, and you know, all the mysterious. And then as children, the uh, uh, funeral parlor was right across the street from our house. And they had a niece who lived with them who was about my age. And as kids will do, you know, you have no fear. Um, Mm -hmm. When there were no bodies in the viewing rooms, we would play hide-and-seek in the caskets. So, so, yeah, I had some things growing up that definitely influenced me. And then I went to uh, school, high school in Sleepy Hollow, so, you know, all of those legends and folk tales and Rip Van Winkle and the Headless Horseman. So I think a lot of that did stay with me as I went into, you know, as I became an adult and did influence how I looked at things. So you grew up in New York? Yes, I did. Yes, okay. I did. You live in New Orleans now? No, I lived for about 30 years in New Orleans. I'm actually living on Cape Cod right now. Oh, there you go. So you're in our neck of of the woods. Yes. 
<laughs> oh, yes. I'm, I'm, I'm in New England. <laughs> I had seen, uh, so I got a notif- notification from the Bridgewater Historical Society. Oh, yes. Uh, I'm going to be speaking uh, to yes. a group in the fall, I think October sometime. Yeah. Yep. I, I saw that come across my desk. I work in public access in East Bridgewater. Oh, and, okay. Yeah. And I thought, ooh, this sounds like it will be a a wonderful presentation, and B, I think she'd make a fantastic guest on okay. our show. Thank you for thinking of me. You're welcome. Now, see, so. I, I thought you were like hanging out on Hossneck Beach, and you just came across some bookstore there, and you found her book, and that's how you got it. So I you... did not. No. Okay. Okay. No. No. All right. I I, I am pretty sure I saw one of her books today in uh, or yesterday in uh, in CVS, I think. I'm not mm-hmm. sure. It's kind of an odd place to see it, but uh, pretty sure. Oh, well, I'm just happy it's everywhere. It's uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, they had a whole rack of, uh, in Whitman, they had a whole rack of books. And there were mm-hmm. Roxy, Roxy's book, The Book of the Dead, was there. Yeah. And yeah. your book wasn't there, Ron. I was surprised. What? But no, <laughs> was not there. Uh, None of them. You'll have to do there. something about that. I know, but there was a whole bunch of uh, haunted books on hmm. rack. So I'd never seen that. Yeah, that's new because uh, Lou just saw that too. He he mentioned Roxy's book. Roxy's work, by the way, is is uh, uh, she owns New England Curiosities up here in Portsmouth, and she does okay. tours and stuff like that. She's written a ton of books as well. But uh, in fact, I had just had her on a show on Monday, and and that came up. So, so you're in good company too. Yes. So. Yeah. yes. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so uh, you're a little girl. You grew up hanging around a funeral parlor, and. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Doesn't everybody? Uh, our kind of girl. <laughs> so, were you considered strange growing up? Um, no, I don't think so. Okay. I think um, my father occasionally would use the word fey, F-E-Y, and to me that just meant maybe I was a little bit more sensitive to some things. Ooh. So that doesn't necessarily, when you're a child, mean, that, oh, that's a good thing, you know, mm-hmm. because you want to be tough and... You don't want people thinking that, oh, you know, she doesn't fit in or things mm-hmm. like that. So I didn't, again, didn't really pay a lot of attention to it growing up, but then found that I was very interested. I love anything old. It, it doesn't matter if it's, you know, an old chair or if it's an old boat. Oh, thank, thank you so much, Barbara. <laughs> What are you implying? I'm very old. <laughs> Van Helsing. Very old. <laughs> very old. So you love everything old. You love me. See, that was a compliment. There you go. See, I like how you didn't made that jump to the other. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I interrupted. Yes, you love everything. No, no, I'm just saying, and I, when I look at something that has some age to it, I'm always wanting out, you know, who used that and why and why is it here and what's happened to it. So to me, when you see something that has some age to it, some pedigree, if you will, I'm always curious, uh, what's the story behind it? So when I hear, you know, a story locally circulating about, oh, this house might be haunted or that church might be haunted, I'm always extremely curious, like, what's the story here? What's what's going on? Mm-hmm. You know, who lived here? What did they do? What happened to them? 
and that's what I think really got me into ghost stories. And while I am a writer, I, my career has been as a television producer. Mm-hmm. And oh. I originally started out, I did a documentary for PBS that was called The Haunting of Louisiana. And I had so many great stories left over that didn't fit into the documentary length, which has to be 56 minutes and 40 seconds. But I thought, well, gee, I've got, you know, some more stories to tell. And, I, you know, maybe I can share some things that happened to the crew and I when we were, you know, shooting this documentary. So that's how the first book started. It was actually based on a documentary that I had done for PBS. Okay, so you you just mentioned something that was very interesting there, that you've had some experience while you were shooting that. that, Well, I uh, tell people, well, I used to take the PBS stance, which mm -hmm. is I'm open to the possibilities. Yeah, I know. I get tired of of saying that, and now when someone asks me, I'm like, yeah, sure. You know, things happen. You can't explain them all. Mm -hmm. And the one story I share in the book was – we were at Le, the Lafitte Guest House, which is right next to the pirate Jean Lafitte's blacksmith's shop, which is a bar. And this was a townhouse, and a little girl died there of yellow fever. And so we decided for the documentary that we would do a little recreation. And the ghost there apparently is trapped in the mirror. So we had a friend who was Native American, and he had a little four-year-old daughter, And we asked if we could use her to be our ghost. And the caveat here is, since she was young, we did not tell her she was going to be a ghost. We knew nothing about the story other than she was going to be on camera and she thought that was fun. Mm -hmm. So we got set up on the second floor of this townhouse where this tall mirror was, about eight feet tall, in the hallway where the little girl was supposed to be trapped in the mirror. And we kept the little girl, the actress that we were using, her name was Cedar, C-E-D-A-R. Mm-hmm. And um, so when we were all ready to roll, and all we wanted her to do was walk down the hall and walk past the mirror. That's the only shot we needed out of her. And so I called down to Greyhawk, who's her father, and I said, okay, we're ready for her. And she, he, she came upstairs. She was laughing. She was having a great time. We put her at the end of the hallway, and Cedar knew me, and I said, Cedar, all I need you to do is walk down the hall, just walk past the mirror, that's it. And I turned around, and she's like frozen, huh? and she's got tears coming down, oh and God. she wouldn't move, and she wouldn't say anything, and I kept, you know, Cedar, what's wrong, what's the matter, she wouldn't talk to me, and then her father, Greyhawk, knelt down in front of her, and he tried to get her to talk, she wouldn't talk, and he said, okay. And I was ready to give up. And he said, okay, Cedar, I'll tell you what. Your mom's going to stand right here. And I'm going to go down on the other side of the mirror, and I'm going to wait for you down there. All you have to do is walk down the hall. So he convinced her to do it. She walked down the hall, went past the mirror. She was done. He took her downstairs. And while we were wrapping the equipment, I could hear her downstairs laughing, having a great time. So I got back downstairs. I went to Greyhawk, and I said, what happened up there? And he said, well, he said, actually, I asked her why she was so upset and what she was crying about. And she said she was upset because there was a little girl and she was stuck in the mirror. Oh, my God. Wow. And we, I promise you, we had not told her the story. She knew nothing about the story whatsoever. How old was she? So I have found that several times in stories that are connected 
uh, with children's stories, mm. uh, well, children involving seeing a ghost or seeing a spirit. And we, um, in one instance, at the Myrtles in St. Francisville, Louisiana, which is listed as America's most haunted house, when the new owner moved in, she moved in with her two-year-old son and her four-year-old son, and she had only been there a week. And again, she had told the staff, we're running this as a tourist business, bed and breakfast. However, no one is to tell my children anything about ghosts. I don't want any of the staff talking about ghosts to my children. And she said she was, they'd been there a week. She was changing the two-year-old's diaper on the bed. The four-year-old was there. And he starts pointing to the ceiling. And he's going, look, mommy, look, mommy, little girl. He looks up at the chandelier, because there's this big fancy chandelier, and she told her son, she said, what do you want mommy to do? And he said, get her down, get her down. So he said, we've been there a week, and I'm talking to something I can't see. Oh. Uh Uh-oh. Oh, no. We lost her. Oh, I'm on the edge of my seat. What happened? I don't <laughs> oh, no. know. We're stuck. <laughs> oh. oh, that's not a good thing. Uh, we better no. get Roy to get her back. Hopefully. Yes. Uh, oh, my goodness. It's funny because she mentioned the Myrtles, and Myrtles is another uh, uh, place with the mirror. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, there's supposed to be a ghost in the mirror there as well. So. Wow. The little girl was four, by the way. I, I know you asked her that. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Four she years ignored old. me, like most women. No. <laughs> hey, you know. Yeah, we they're, call, we they're do. calling her back now. She'll be, she'll be back. But, okay, uh, yeah. good. Now, yeah. I, I can't wait to hear what the rest of that story was. <laughs> I know, I know. And she has uh, six, six books. One, two, three, four. A lot. Seven, I think. Um, and the one I saw in the store the other day was Haunted Cape Cod, which is part of, it's Haunted America. You know how they have Right, a, the Haunted America series. series yeah. yeah. Um, and that was the one I saw over in Whitman. I thought I got such a kick out of that. And I didn't know whether she was going to be on tonight or not. Right, right. Uh, at the time. So I'm so I'm so happy you got a hold of her. Yeah, so uh, hopefully we can get her back anyway. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, it's it's intriguing. I, I love stories like that, especially where, you know, the, the children are involved and, uh, you know, they don't know about different things and, and they come mm-hmm. up with stuff that, 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 you know, you're wondering where that information came from. It's just, just right. amazing. Oh, yeah. Uh, but uh, hopefully we'll get her back shortly. <laughs> so, anyways, yeah, I, I have you uh, looked at? Did you look at the book? I mean, there is uh, pirates in there, I believe, as well. So we have to get a little pirate story too. Well, we have. So she's got haunted Cape Cod, sea captains, shipwrecks, and spirits, which is yeah. hello. Oh, yeah, there you back. are. <laughs> we lost you. Yes. <laughs> Oh it's paranormal. What do you goodness. want? Anyways, you were just just before we lost you, you were talking about uh, she was changing a diaper on a two-year-old. The four-year-old saw a little girl up at the ceiling, and the mother asked what she wanted to the kid to do. All right, Yeah, so the four-year-old wanted the mother to help get this little girl that she was describing down from the chandelier, and it turns out that this is called the Myrtles Plantation. Um, a number of people have died there. It has like 
I think some, something like seven or eight ghosts, mm. and one is a little girl mm-hmm. who was poisoned. Uh, there was oh. poison put in her birthday cake yep. by a disgruntled servant in the house. Yeah, so, but she didn't mean to kill him, though. She only meant to get him sick. Correct, correct. She only meant to poison to poison the children enough to make them sick, and then she would know what the what the cure would be, and she she would appear like, oh, I'm this incredible, you know, voodoo priestess, and mm-hmm. I can, you know, and then they would welcome her back into the house because they had previously banned her because she had been eavesdropping on some private conversations. <laughs> so that's sort of the backstory of one of the ghosts in the house that this little boy now claimed that he could see. And I was starting to say that the owner of the house, who was an ex-school principal, not someone led to fantasy, <laughs> called uh, Kathleen, Kathleen Kubler-Ross, who wrote the book on death and dying. And Miss Ross explained to the owner that a child can lie, under the age of seven can lie to you. They can have a cookie in their mouth. They can be chewing on the cookie. You can say to them, did you take that cookie? And they, can, they will say no. They can lie. But <laughs> what they can't do is they can't conjure. They can't make up something they haven't seen. <clears throat> so if you look at it that way, this little four-year-old was seeing something that his mother couldn't see, but he could see it enough to describe her dress, the color of her hair, so I've always found stories involving children seeing a ghost or a spirit um, very, very credible, very right. credible. We had talked about that when we lost you uh, a little bit, that I, I, I found the same thing. The uh, the other interesting fact was, of course, you were talking about the woman in the mirror, and of course the Myrtles has its own uh, person in the yes. mirror as well. Now, you have written how many books? Six six. Six different books, uh, I believe, or, or but uh, did you ever find the other mirror stories in uh, in in, in uh, your research for these books? Well, yes, because there's a southern tradition that when someone dies in the house, the first thing you're supposed to do is cover the mirrors because mm-hmm. the spirit of that person can easily be trapped in the mirror. So you want to cover the mirror according to the tradition mm-hmm. so that the soul of that person who has just died doesn't get stuck in the mirror. And the other part of the tradition is you open the windows so that the soul or the spirit can get out. Right. That that covered mirror actually goes all the way back to uh, the UK and uh, Europe because uh, they do that as yeah, well. It's, yeah. it's just victory. Yeah. 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 But uh, yeah, it's it's interesting traditions uh, that we some people still carry on. Uh, I believe uh, in the Jewish families they cover their mirrors as they well. Do? Yeah, I think so. Yes. Yeah. So. Yes, I I think a lot of traditions cross cultures, mm-hmm. and so you find different versions, basically of the same thing in different cultures. Right. And, uh, you know, one of the stories I always tell, of course, is, is that one of the, the uh, other theories, and this goes with the mirror because it's a reflective surface at all, is water. Uh, water will also trap a spirit as well, which was why, like, for instance, in Concord, Massachusetts, uh, they have the North Cemetery and the, and the South Cemetery, I believe. I think it could get their names wrong, but whatever. Anyways, the reason they have uh, the two cemeteries is because there's a stream that runs through the uh, the center of the town, so that if you brought the body of the deceased over the stream, the stream could capture the 
soul of that person before they buried it. So that's that you'll find that in a lot of places where they'll have different cemeteries, be, not because there's like a million people dying in town, only because mm -hmm. there's a stream and they don't, you know, it's for the preservation of the souls. Ah, yeah. okay. Well, the only story I have in connection with that was a restaurant on the Cape that had an older ghost, and uh, he was not too wonderfully friendly, and they had a waitress who was, as she was seasonal, saying goodbye for the season, and uh, she got in her car and she was driving. She was leaving the Cape, which right now is as you may know, it's an island. It used to be a peninsula, but now it's an island. So she was crossing the bridge or starting to cross the bridge, mm -hmm. and she felt this very oppressive presence in the back of her car, and she was, got very scared and very nervous. But she reported back that once her car crossed over the water, that presence was gone, and that whole feeling that she had of someone else being in the car with her was gone. So mm -hmm. that that. Both can't cross water. Ah. So, okay. uh, first of all, if people want to find out more about you and your books, uh, Barbara, how can they, they do that? All right. Well, I have a website, and it's very simple. It's my name, you know, the www.barbaracillary.com. I have a blog on there. I try and update once a month. Sometimes I'm better at it than others. <laughs> they can leave um, a message for me there. Or if they wanted to leave a message for me directly, they can use the uh, email, again, my name, barbaracillary.com, uh, at gmail.com, I'm sorry, at gmail.com. So uh, I'm very easy to reach that way, and I try and get back to people as quickly as I can. may not be the next day, maybe a day or two, but I do try and respond as, as best I can. Okay, so of all the books that you've written, uh, which one did you enjoy writing the most? Uh, I think each one had its own sort of unique style and perspective. And I guess I'll always have a, a place in my heart for my first one, The Haunting of Louisiana. <laughs> and uh, because I lived in New Orleans for so long, um, that also got me really inspired to kind of track down why New Orleans, why people are so accepting of ghosts in New Orleans. You know, I'm up here in conservative uh, New England right now, mm -hmm. and it was a bit of a challenge when I was writing my two books about Cape Cod and ghosts and spirits and pirates to get people to talk and share their stories. Where mm -hmm. in New Orleans, I, I mean, have it, everyone has a ghost. I mean, everyone has <laughs> a spirit. Everyone, you know, the sheriff, the New Orleans sheriff, runs a haunted house every Halloween mm -hmm. and the people inside that play the monsters are some of the inmates. Um, so <laughs> you, you know, that's what really blew my mind is that it was so common and it wasn't just for Halloween. It's year round. People talk about ghosts and spirits. We were doing, uh, we were interviewing, or I was interviewing a lady that um, owned a guest house on the outskirts of the French Quarter. And uh, the crew that was with me that day didn't know it was for the documentary about ghosts. So they were just 
sort of half listening as I was interviewing her, and she was talking about the architecture of the house and the decoration of this historic home, which was built like 1889, I believe. And she kept going on and on and on about this decorator, Mr. Charles Andrew Johnson. And without him, she wouldn't have been able to find the rug for the parlor or the settee. And when she was doing reconstruction, she always asked his advice, and he was so helpful picking out paint colors. And she goes, you know, as a matter of fact, I'm going to go get something and show you. And she left the room. And the cameraman turned to me, and he said, you know, if this Mr. Johnson person is so important, why aren't we interviewing him? And I said, well, I'd love to, but he's been dead for 200 years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ruth Bodenheimer spoke about him as if it was the present, and mm-hmm. she overheard me telling this to the cameraman, and she was laughing a little bit, and <laughs> she was like, oh, don't be embarrassed. She said it happens all the time. When I started my new job 10 years ago, I would talk about Mr. Johnson so much, they thought he was somebody I was having an affair with on my Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> so she, that's the way people speak about ghosts and spirits in New Orleans and actually most of Louisiana, most of the Gulf South. Mm-hmm. It, it's very much, it's very common. It, it's not something to be embarrassed about. Um, and and they're, they're very proud of being able to connect with people from the past. And no one thinks it's strange. <laughs> uh, maybe I need to move down there. I don't know. <laughs> there you go. People right, are people... so, it's like pulling teeth sometimes. Up Seriously? Yes. I have no problem. Well, it, it is and it isn't, you know, because how many times have you done a talk or or gone somewhere and, and, and nobody says anything during the whole thing, but afterwards they pull you aside. Oh, oh yeah. so I didn't want to yeah. say anything, but, and then they give yeah. you this fantastic story and you're like, why didn't you speak up? Right. Why didn't you share that? Then? Yes. Right. Some people are, I always do questions and answers after I do a talk. And you can see that some people, they're just itching to ask a question or tell mm-hmm. you something or share something, but they're a little bit embarrassed yeah. to, you know, to say, oh, well, yeah, see, something going on in my house. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it, yeah, it's, it is a little bit different up here. The attitude is just a little different, I think. Right. Yeah, I don't know. I... They're, they're pretty good about sharing. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I... I don't find that. I, I think it's they're pretty open here, especially. Uh, well, OK, thanks for letting the queue. All right, we'll be right back after the following messages. Whoops. What happened there? Do you have a paranormal event, book, or something else you want people to know about? Then why not advertise it on Ghost Chronicles Radio? With over 150,000 downloads a month, get your message out to an audience that's interested in the subject. We have a plan at a cost that fits your needs. For more information, contact Ron Kolick at anyghostproject at comcast.net or call 978-455-6678. Hello. Hello, can you hear me? My name is Harry Price. I am speaking to you via the medium of the Ghost Box. Many of you will know I carried out the first live radio broadcast from Haunted House way back in 1936 for the BBC. Now, 
Thanks to the wonders of modern technology, I am still able to keep abreast of 21st century ghost hunting by listening to Ghost Chronicles International on Togginet, Parax Radio, The Ghost Channel, and even on something called a podcast. Two splendid chaps host it. One is an American who calls himself New England's own Van Helsing, although I have discovered his real name is Ron Kolek. The other is Stephen Parsons, and he's a paranormal scientist. Well, mustache, I'm required elsewhere on something called a K2. But don't forget, I'll be listening in every Tuesday from 8 o'clock in Great Britain and 3 o'clock on the American Eastern Seaboard. I trust you will join me there. Welcome back to Ghost Chronicles Next Generation with Ron and Anne and our special guest this evening, television producer and author, Barbara Sillery. Before we do go, I want to thank uh, the latest members of our Dead Air Society. Uh, That's people who have uh, signed up for Ghost Chronicles Radio on Patreon. And they are Cheryl Moore and John Adamson. Thank you so much for uh, joining us and if you don't know anything about it you can join us as well on uh, ghost chronicles radio on patreon and uh, you can get access to about 30 videos i believe that it's up to over 30 way over 30 now uh on uh, different things that you could only see there is plus we have a new uh, new uh, series i guess that i'm doing uh, I just started it last week. It's called It's a Weird World, and uh, I put the first one up. So check that out. Uh, it's $3 a month, wicked cheap. So uh, you also get Ghost Chronicles, the magazine, and so forth. So check it out. And anyways, back to our guest. Yes. So Here we are. Uh, Barbara, uh, the the book on the Cape, uh, you mentioned pirates. What, what are we talking about pirates? Are we talking pirates, ghosts, pirates, uh, just in general, or, or what? Oh, definitely. Pi- uh, well, one pirate in particular, and that's Black Sam Bellamy. Uh-huh. And oh, yeah. he, there was a shipwreck off the coast of Cape Cod on what's called the Outer Cape, and his ship sank in 1717. And his ghost I is supposed that. to be still around, as well as his girlfriend. So it's it's an incredible story, and it is. Barry Clifford is the gentleman who found the wreck of the widow, which is the name of the ship, the pirate ship. And he has <laughs> also brought up an enormous amount of treasure from that ship, gold coins, uh, jewelry, and he still goes out every summer, and he still believes there's more to be found wow. that he hasn't hit the mother load yet. Mm-hmm. But the interesting thing about that is this story has been around on the Cape since 1717, and there are now like three different, it's sort of like the old childhood game of tele, uh, telephone, you know, you pass the story, right. <laughs> and, the, and then as the story gets passed, it gets changed and it alters. So now, even though it's a very well-loved ghost story on the Cape, it also ha- you have kind of a choice of, of endings, whether <laughs> you think Black Bellamy is this 
angry ghost and his girlfriend Maria that they fight all the time, <laughs> or that they now see them holding hands strolling along the beach. Uh-huh. So. It's kind of fun, depending upon who tells you the story, mm-hmm. but I actually did interview Barry Clifford, the guy who mm-hmm. located the, the widow, and the two interesting things about this particular ghost story is we know that Sam Bellamy is a real person. We have documents, uh, original source documents on him. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have his birth parents. We know he was born in England, uh, That, but on the other hand, all these stories about his girlfriend and their baby, to date, no one has been able to find any document, any gravestone for Maria Howitt. Right. So here you have one that you absolutely can prove that this person existed and mm-hmm. lived on the Cape, and the stories about him, he was only a pirate for one year, and he was incredibly successful. He captured, I think it's 51 ships. 51 ships in wow. a year. That's amazing. And the last ship captured was the Widow, which was a slave ship. Mm-hmm. And it was so laden down with all these other treasures that they had captured that when they decided they would head back to the Cape. And when they did, there was this terrible storm. And it sunk the Widow. There were only two known survivors. There was 141 people on board. And they only found two, I think it's 122 bodies washed ashore. Wow. Some, Barry believes, are still down there buried in, I don't know how many, 20, 22 feet of sand, and mm-hmm. their bodies were crushed by the cannons on the, on the ship. So he still believes that, you know, that there's, there's more to find. Mm-hmm. And there are a number of different versions of the ghost of Sam Bellamy still walking around. Get, uh, Barry even talked about at one point that he felt like the ghosts of the pirates at first gave him a really hard time locating the ship. And he said, you know, finding another man's treasure is not supposed to be easy. So I understand why they didn't make it easy for me <laughs> to find them. But on right. the day that they actually found the widow's bell with the name the widow on it, yep. he said it was very strange. They were out having searched this area hundreds of times. And at that point, this one little storm cloud came over their uh, research vessel and just hung there. And their diver went down, and he came back and said he had found the bell. So he sort of feels like they were guided to that location. And you've gone to that uh, museum, haven't you? I have. I've been been to the one in Provincetown. There's one in Provincetown. But there's a, a, a more modern, slicker one up uh, a little further you up have, Cape. You have to go to the new one. Yeah. Because the, the one that was in Provincetown just had, like, a replica of the bell. Right. When you go to one, I think it's in Yarmouth or Tyannis. Yeah. I think sure. they have done such an unbelievable job. And the first thing you see is the bell, and you yeah. hear the story of Sam. And then you go through exhibit after exhibit, and you mm-hmm. see the treasure, the, the doubloons, the gold coins, the jewelry, and then you get all the way to the back, mm-hmm. and it's like a working laboratory where Ooh. they are taking off the, the, um, all the buildup off the cannons. And so they're still working on many of the right. artifacts that they brought right. up, and you get to see that process. That's so, so cool. yeah, I would recommend I saw- going to that. 
I saw a documentary on that, and they thought they recovered uh, Bellamy itself, but when they uh, did the DNA samples, they, they it discovered it, it wasn't. Yeah. yeah. No, and, no and, and, you know, Barry Clifford is hopeful that when he uncovers more skeletons down there, because there mm -hmm. are still more of the crew down there, that they will at some point be able to That would be amazing. It is. It's also kind of hard to believe. I mean, we're talking about 1717. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a long time ago. Yeah. And and speaking of a long time, now he's been Barry Clifford has been excavating or uh, whatever you want to call it, searching, Sur yeah. searching, but but bringing stuff up from this ship for 40 mm -hmm. years because mm -hmm. I was a 19 year old kid working at Brockton Savings Bank when he he financed it through mm -hmm. that bank originally. Wow, and okay. I, I, I can remember how exciting it was because yes. they had to present the whole, you know, mm -hmm. uh, what they were doing and, and, and the right. plans and all that. I'm like, oh, my okay. God, it's a pirate ship. And well, I, yeah. You know, forty year forty years ago. I mean, I was I was you know, it was before I was even married. It Yeah, and, well his son does help him now. Yeah. Um, you know, he's he has changed out the crew a couple of times, but he oh, still sure. goes down. And when when I met him, I guess it would be like eight years ago, he is very, very fit. <laughs> I bet. So, I bet he is. He he must be around 70 maybe in his 60s yeah i think in his maybe his late 60s yeah i'm not, but I'm not you wouldn't know, yeah. you wouldn't know it from from looking at him but when he originally found the cannons mm -hmm. they didn't believe him when he said this is the widow right and it wasn't until a year later when he brought up the bell that had the name on it yeah. that that it was confirmed that this mm. is the pirate ship the widow and he That's still amazing. says it's the first authenticated pirate treasure that's ever been located in the waters around the United States. Oh, wow. So he makes this great distinction about, about you know, this. And he does, I will say, he does really stress the history of it. He's very into, you know, the people, the crew, uh, what happened to them, what happened to the little boy. You know, they brought up a, a shoe. Uh, mm -hmm. with a bone sticking out of it. Yeah. And there's a whole story that when they uh, boarded another ship, there was a little boy with his mother, and I don't know why the mother agreed, but the little boy said he wanted to go with on the pirate ship. And <laughs> so this little boy became a cabin boy on oh the God. ship, and so they brought up this child's shoe with a bone sticking out of it, and they believe from, you know, the scientific examination of it, it is a child's shoe, so they may even know the name of this little boy who was on the ship with them. That's amazing. Oh, you know, you yeah. know, that's the, the great thing about this is because they are actually exploring, uh, you know, the science behind it. You know, they're trying to discover uh, real evidence. And uh, yeah. so much of the paranormal we deal with now, and Steve and I just talked about that on the last show, is that people just jump to conclusions. They don't really go back and look at the, you know, the research. They do the research on to make sure that, you know, this is right or that's right. Uh, and that's right. that's yes. the, the great thing about him. 
what what I love about ghost stories to me is that it brings the past into the present. It oh, yeah. makes these people come alive again, and we get to know the people that came before us. And I, my criteria for including any story in any of my books is that it either has to be based on an actual person or the story has to be connected to a historic site. And I prefer stories that are at least 100 years old because then I can do the research and then I can, you know, I have something to work with mm-hmm. as opposed to just, for example, like an, ur- an urban legend. So right. I normally don't do urban legends and I normally only do sites that are open to the public because once I tell a story, I want people to be able to go there oh, and, great. you know, investigate for themselves. Because I hate, you know, if I read a story about a private home and then I, you know, I can't go inside. I can't mm-hmm. talk to anybody there. So I really try and pick places where, you know, you can go take a tour, you know, if it's a restaurant, go have a meal there, you know, and then perhaps talk to a waiter or a waitress or someone on the wait staff and say, hey, I've heard you know, there's a story that you've got a ghost or, you know, the place is haunted. Anything happened to you? And I I think that's that's fun. And I think that's the huge benefit of, of ghost stories is it gets people interested in history. So you, in all these books that you've written, you've, you've written uh, what, six of them. Uh, eight. They, <laughs> eight. Eight. Sorry about that. Eight <laughs> books. Okay. Uh, the. You, did you visit all these places, or is it some of it just yes. research on them? No, I, that's another one of my little rules, is I never write about a place unless I go there in person, and then I talk to a variety of people. I'll talk to the owner. I'll talk to, if it's a museum, the docents. I'll grab a visitor and, and ask them why they're there, what they've heard. So I try and talk, or, or then I'll also maybe talk to someone in the town to say, you know, I've, I've heard you've got, you know, your your local church might have a might have a ghost. I went to Nantucket and um, met a couple of the parishioners at the Old South Church, and they were like, oh yeah, but the the ghost of the first minister, he's here. He causes us all kinds of problems. Yep, he still comes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that that really makes. It, it's fun. It's entertaining. You're learning about history. You're learning about, and then you you say, well, well, you know, why did this minister Seth? Why do you think he's still hanging around? What does he do? You know, what what's been going on? And then you get a lot of firsthand experiences and stories. And, and I tell people, you don't have to be a believer in the supernatural to enjoy the story. But, you know, I, I try and verify all the dates, the names of the people, or, you know, when they were born, when they died, what happened, why the story got started in the first place. So I find all those different aspects. I like all the layers that you can get with ghost stories. And I find that I have teachers who use my books in schools to get kids interested in history because every child likes a ghost story, Right. So they, you know, let them read the ghost stories and then say, okay, well, now you need to do some research on your own about this person or this house or, you know, this this ship that went down. So I I think there's just so many incredible benefits to ghost stories and passing ghost stories on. And, um, you know, some people look down on them like, oh, that's not, 
you know, that's not proper or something. And I'm like, no, 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 you're missing the point. <laughs> this is getting people interested in what's, what's happened before us. You know, we can learn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we we had it. Do you remember? I believe that was up in up towards uh, where you grew up, uh, Barbara. Is there was a a mm-hmm. tour company that that did ghosts? I think it's cemetery ghosts, but they actually dressed up as the characters of of the persons yes. that were deceased there. Do you remember that? And that was well, the the haunted ghost tours in East Bridgewater. You mean? No, 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 no. This was up I, in I New York. It's being done all over the country. Oh. Uh, does it um, Natchez, uh, Mississippi? Does it right? Uh, uh, Cape Cod. They're starting to do it, and and what they do is they get local people will stand by a particular gravestone, tombstone, and you take the tour and you stop at the different gravestones, and then that character will tell you what happened to them. That they're buried here, and and, and again, it, it gets people interested in what happened in their town that they might never right. have done before if it wasn't for these ghost stories, you know, for these tours of the cemeteries. Oh, absolutely. I think the place you were thinking of was, uh, Ron, was in Rhinebeck, New York. Yes, Rhinebeck. Yep, yes. Exactly. Oh, okay. Yeah. Heard that. Yeah. 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 I, I think any, and most, a lot of towns are now, and they're, and they're making money on it, and then they're using the money to be able to restore these cemeteries. Oh, absolutely. So it, it just benefits everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's the great thing about the paranormal right now is because a lot of uh, groups and everything is associating themselves with, diff- themselves with different historical properties, and they're doing yeah. ghost hunts, they're doing lectures, and they're, they're raising money for these properties that are getting restored. Uh, we know our friend Christy uh, does that at the Oliver House, right? Uh, mm-hmm. in- and we, I, I do, of course, with the, of course, with Harvard Lighthouse and several other lighthouses that I've worked with uh, as well. But yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm doing one Saturday at the museums on the green here on in Falmouth, and I'm going to be sharing some stories, you know, about sea captains and shipwrecks around the Cape, and the, the money that they raise for it's called the Sea Chanty. And they're going to have some guys singing some old songs and things. So mm-hmm. the money that they raise will go back into preserving the two historic houses that are there on the grounds. Awesome. So they get to be entertained, and the museums benefit because they get some money to help preserve these wonderful historic buildings. And to me, that's, that's just really, really important because once you lose the tangible evidence of the past, you kind of forget. I mean, if you're driving past an empty lot, you're not going to think about what happened there. Where if there's like an old church still standing there, or you know, an old house that's been converted into a restaurant, you know, then you can see something, and 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 it reminds you, oh, something's something's been around here for a really long time. Mm-hmm. But if it's fallen apart and it's gone, you're just passing an empty lot, and you wouldn't even think about anything in the past. Mm-hmm. So, yes. Just, I, I love the paranormal that way. I love all of the wonderful benefits that I think people are just now beginning to grasp. Like, hey, this is a good idea. <laughs> this, is not, this is not just for kids. This is not just something you do around a campfire or Halloween. You know, this is, this, this is important. You know, this is a year-round thing, you know, to be talking about the past and learning from the past. What is... Your most peculiar ghost story. Peculiar, huh? 
really odd. Well, like, you know, it's like, uh, wow, I would have never thought of that. Or... <laughs> things, I've had things happen that I was shooting another documentary. It had nothing to do with ghosts, but we were at a very old plantation house, and I was interviewing one of the owners. She was 90 years old. The place was boarded up. And we took him around to the back to the second floor balcony, an outdoor balcony, and we sat him down, and behind him was a window that had been broken, so there was glass was all gone in that particular window, and he said it was, you know, vandals. And I'm standing, he's sitting down, to my right is my cameraman, to my left is my audio guy, and we kind of have a system where the cameraman will start on a wide shot so you could see the gentleman I was talking to, plus you can see the you know back of the house. And then as we get into the interview, he pushes into a tight shot, and then you really just see the person's face. So we're about halfway through the interview, and something catches my eye, and I'm behind the gentleman that I'm interviewing, Mr. Keller. I can see, and this house is boarded up, by the way. It's empty, no mm-hmm. furniture in it, boarded up. Mm-hmm. And I see movement behind behind him and then I see this woman's face and I'm like oh my god she's going to ruin my shot that's all I could think of and I said, oh I'm seeing anything it's just she's ruining my shot I'm in the middle of the and, and and then she she must have realized that something was going on so then she like sticks her head through the window so I whispered to my camera I didn't want to stop the interview I'm really persistent so I I turn to my cameraman, I whisper, I was like, is she in the shot? Is she in the shot? Because I'm hoping he's on a close-up and you can't see this window anymore. So we forget about it. I don't know why, but I forgot about it. And we're packing up the gear and we're driving back to New Orleans. And I turn to my cameraman who's driving. And I said, oh, it's a good thing you were on a close-up when that woman somehow got in the house and stuck her head through the window. And he turns to me and he goes, I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, wow. And he jokes a lot, and so I said, oh, come on, you had to see her. You're standing right next to me. You were looking in the same direction I'm looking. And he goes, no. So then I turned to the back seat, and my audio guy's back there, and his name was Toomey. And I said, Toomey, you saw her, right? And he goes, Miss Barbara, I promise you, I didn't see anything. Oh, my God. Oh, well. I'm like, are you guys kidding me? So I, I'm really mad at this point. Back to the station, I grab the tape, oh. stick it in the machine, I cue it up till I know where it happened. It happened right around when this gentleman was talking about the kitchen. Uh-huh. So we get there, there, and unfortunately for me, he is on a close-up. You can't see the window anymore. Oh, However, sh- when you record, you know, there are different tracks of audio. Mm-hmm. So there was the audio coming from Mr. Keller's microphone, but there was also a camera, a microphone on the camera. Mm-hmm. And so I raised the level on that track of audio and you can hear me saying is she in the shot is she in the shot Mm -hmm. so clearly at least there was proof that i saw something at that particular moment why the guys on either side of me didn't see it i have no idea wow oh i thought you were going to say you played back the 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 tape and then you heard her say something too that was crazy oh i will tell and when I share this story with other people, I say, she was as real as you are to me right now. That's amazing. I mean, I saw her face. I saw the color of her hair. I saw her dress. And I, 
to this day, I'm like, you know, three pairs of eyes all looking in the same direction, and we're all concentrating. Mm-hmm. Why they didn't see her and I did, I have no rational explanation <laughs> whatsoever. You're just sensitive no. to that stuff then. Yeah. I, I have no idea. I, I still, I'm like, I still don't believe they didn't see her. That, that's so great. I, yeah. Did you yeah, ever? That was one. So you didn't mention it to the gentleman you were interviewing? No, because oh. it was like when I get into, you know, when I'm working as a television producer, I get into, I've got blindfolds on. Right. I'm concentrating on what I needed. I'm right. concentrating on his sound bites, what I need out of him. Mm-hmm. And then he was kind of frail, and so we were helping him back into his car, and, and it just kind of went out of my mind for a second until right. we got back in the van. And uh. that's when I thought, oh, you know, see what the guys have to say and, and oh. find out they're telling me they didn't see anything. <laughs> that's a great story. Really yeah, there's, awesome. There's so many cool ones. I, I love those things. I, oh, I do. I, you know, I've, I've gotten to, I love it when something unexpected happens. I love mm-hmm. it when, you know, you can plan and plan and plan. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure you've been on a lot of different expe- um when you when you're doing your research and you've come across things, to me it's the most fun when something that you weren't even thinking about happens, or you you catch something out of the corner of your eye and you're just like, well, what was that? Mm-hmm. Okay, <laughs> or did I just hear something? And so I I do at this point I do pay maybe more attention mm-hmm. to different things, you know. So I don't know that I have any special. Gift is more as I'm conditioned to be paying attention to different visuals and different audiences. Right. And again, that's my field is television. So I'm always looking at the shot, what's in the shot. I'm mm-hmm. always listening for background noises. You know, are they working or do we need to reshoot? So it it, it may just be because that's what I do well, as opposed to, oh, I have some kind of Barbara, I hate to tell you this, but we have run out of time, so we're going to have to say goodbye to you. Oh, my goodness. We want to thank you so much for joining us. And once again, if people want to get a hold of you, how can they do that? www.barbaracillery.com. Awesome. There you go. And thank you, Barbara, for spending time with us today. And thank you for inviting me to the Ghost Chronicles. Yes, it's so interesting. And I am looking forward to your talk in Bridgewater, and I am really going to try to make it there. So I can hear you. Oh, talk. I hope to meet you. Yes, that would be awesome. All right. Today's show is brought to you by Circles of Wisdom, 386 Merrimack Street, Methuen, Massachusetts, the Glant Messier Family Law Group, 15 High Street, North Andover, Massachusetts, and our very good friends on Ghost Chronicles Radio on Patreon. Uh, you too can become a member. Uh, go to Ghost Chronicles Radio on Patreon. And uh, anyways, that's about a wrap uh, right here on Ghost Chronicles Internet, uh, Next Generation. Excuse me. Thanks, <laughs> Anne. Have a good night. Good night, and thank you, Barbara. Thank you. And now it's time for the last word. And today's last word comes from our good friend, Humphrey Bogart. And uh, it, Humphrey was uh, dying of, what was he dying of? Cancer, Malignancy of the esophagus. Uh-huh. He called all his family and children to his bed, said his goodbyes, and his famous last words were, I should have switched.
from scotch to martinis. And that's <laughs> the last word. to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us, good Lord.